The Holy Gospel according to John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He, drove, he told those who were selling a dove, Take those things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body, and he was raised, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had spoken this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken, the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. This reading this morning, the reading we had from the Gospel of John, um, the scene of Jesus driving the money changers and cleansing the temple, driving out all those who were in the temple uh, doing business, um, which offended Jesus so that he drove them all out. Well, something that I actually didn't realize until I was in seminary and uh, I think speaks to what I want to talk to today is that in the other three Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this scene, this uh, story of Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple occurs after the procession into Jerusalem that we recognize as Palm Sunday. After Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem and the people sounded Hosanna, Hosanna and laid palms down on the street in front of him as he rode in on a colt or a donkey or a paracolt. I mean, it, there's little differences between the Gospels. Um, it was following this, the next day possibly, that he went to the, de the temple and witnessed the commerce that was going on and drove them out of the temple. However, in John, this occurs in the second chapter. This occurs in the very beginning, right before Jesus actually goes out and starts his ministry. In fact, the only thing that has occurred right before this, other than whatever narrative there is there about the, the light of the world and the, the advent of John the Baptist, um, is Jesus at the wedding at Cana producing wine from water. As it's noted there, this was the first miracle that Jesus did. And it was after this that he goes in the temple as he starts his ministry. Now, I really understand at the end of his ministry, as he's going into Jerusalem, to um, he knows what he's facing. He's facing death on the cross. He's facing a really bad day at the end of the week. And he has been living an ascetic life. He's been going out, traveling around, 
living by the grace and the means of people, um, healing and teaching and preaching. And as he says, the fox have holds and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He has accumulated nothing other than the clothes on his back, but yet he has gone out and has served all the people that he has encountered, both the, his people, both the Hebrews, as well as Gentiles. His, the ministry and the mission of Jesus has expanded, and it really is everybody that he has encountered so when he would get to Jerusalem and he would see, finally get to the temple, get to his father's house and witness the scene where the money changers and understand what that meant. See, if you were giving a donation, a cash donation, you could not use the Roman coins of the realm, the ones you carried in your pocket. You had to exchange them for special coins. And there was an exchange rate and if you've ever traveled abroad and had to exchange dollars for euros or pesos or rupees or wherever you happen to be, those places where you exchange your money, they always charge a percentage. And the percentages sometimes can be quite steep. And if you've charged overseas, you will notice when you get your bill off times that there is a conversion charge or a percentage. So there were people that had tables set up in the narthex of the temple as the people came in who were making money so people could offer their money to God. They were cutting a percentage. And I'm sure the way humans are that those who were running the temple were also getting a cut from this. And those people who were doing the exchange had some sort of in, were some sort of favored status. And not only if you wanted to exchange money, if you wanted to bring an animal to sacrifice, you couldn't bring your own animal. You had to purchase a special animal that you could sacrifice. So this idea of every time that someone came to the temple and they wanted to return back to God some of the blessings that God had given them, they had to pay a cut to another entity. And this infuriated Jesus. And I would understand at the very end of his ministry why he would make that whip of cords and drive the money changers out and turn over their tables and drive out the animals. But in the very beginning of his ministry, I'm thinking the writer of John is trying to make a point. I think the writer of John is inviting us to consider how we do ministry. What is our impetus of doing what we do in the church? I remember years and years ago as I was becoming a more involved lay person at the church that I was, was part of. And one of the things that we discussed as a way to make up some of our shortfall in our budget, because I think that's a, a part of being serving a church now is that there's a shortfall in a budget. I think that's been going on for years, and I think that's just part of who we are. Well, one of the ways that we decided that we were going to try to make up a shortfall 
was we were going to have a fair. Well, you know, the Roman Catholic churches around the, church, uh, the corner, they have these big fairs, and they made all this money from this fair. Why don't we have, we can have a smaller fair. It'll be a community fair. And um, we were hoping to make $10,000 from this fair. Well, I remember getting there the first day when the fair was set up. It was going to run Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And that first Wednesday, getting there to help with the concessions that we were going to sell food um, and seeing all the carnival rides set up around the church, dwarfing sometimes the church, these, some of these rides that were brought in. And there was something that struck into my heart about seeing that. I kind of felt, and I shared with another person on council, I feel like we sold out here. Well, after a week, four nights of really hard work for all of us involved, at the end of the day, I think we made about $1,000, not the 10000 that we hoped. But we, we made some mistakes. And we decided we would learn from our mistakes and we would tighten up. And the next year, we, when the, we set up the, there for the fair, we approached it a little bit more efficiently. And, well, when the end of the day, when it was said and done, we had made $2,000. Well, we planned and we worked harder and we moved things around. So when the third year came around, we were really set and ready to go. And well, the Board of Health showed up and then we kind of got this thing how we couldn't sell hamburgers the way we were gonna prepare them. We had to have them covered and we had to have them, uh, things. And the county showed up and it also was saying, well, you know, you have to make sure you have a special permit for this. The permit that the fair company doesn't brings does not cover your endeavors. So we had to pay a, a, a another permit fee, but these were not odious. But when it was all said and done, we had made $3,000. When the fourth year rolled around and we started to talk about a fair, I brought a check for $400 and I laid it on the table. And I said, listen, I don't know about the rest of you, but those four days that the fair is here, I am busting my keister with helping get things set up, preparing food. In fact, the one year I spent so much time over the grill, I actually developed some sort of a, a lung infection from breathing in wood smoke because I spent too much time over the grill. And I said, I don't know about the rest of you, but it really takes a toll on me for these four nights, these four, the, you know, th four nights in one day that this fair operates. And I really feel that it's, somewhat derogatory to our mission. We're just doing it to make money. So there's quite a number here on council, and I don't know who's, what, who's in what financial position, but I imagine a lot of you are in a similar financial position to me. So if none of the people match this or come close, um, and there was 12 other people in the room, then we won't have to do the fair. We, we've covered the cost of what the, better than we've ever made on the fair, and we get those nights off. And personally, it's worth more to me. But this check's only good if we agree not to do the fair. As it turns out, the fair company decided that they didn't make enough money on our little fair, and they didn't want to be involved. I gave the check anyway, but 
I think there was a lesson there about the reason that we did that. The reason that we did that was to make money, which was the reason why the temple had all these things set up inside. Well, while people did make money other than the temple, like the fair did, the temple also made a percentage of that too. And it calls us to question why we do things in a church, why we would do any form of ministry from a bake sale to a garage sale to our music jams. And it gives us a reason to focus on what is the ministry of the church, what is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to bring people closer to God through Christ. I mean, regardless of how you phrase it, that is the mission of the church, to help people to grow in their faith or to start a faith in God through Christ here at King of Kings or any other church. This is why when we talk about having a garage sale here, it's not about making money. I'm trying to introduce that concept. It's about reaching out into the community. And way we, if we make some money on that, that's fine and good. But it's more important that we look at the overall impact that it has on our call to ministry, our mission here at the church. Are we introducing ourselves to the community, showing them how we are such a loving, caring group? Are we inviting people to not just be here on a Saturday morning, but to join us on a Sunday morning as well? Are we providing goods and services that maybe they couldn't afford new? If we sell a little hand mixer for $2, and if you spend it, if you bought it new, it was 30, well, someone might not have been able to afford the 30, but they can afford the two. If we sell another little kitchen appliance or household good, for so much less than they would have to buy new and it was good and serviceable portion, well then, I would hope that we could think everybody could be happy. So I'm not against having these things. What I wanted to do, and I think this is what the writer of the gospel was trying to do by putting this first, that we need to put the mission and the ministry of our church first. And any sort of ancillary return that we get at that well and good, but we don't do it just to make money. It was one thing that I learned back in my home church because we basically said as a council from now on, we are not going to do something just to make money. We have to be able to key it into the mission of the church. So, the church needs to be supported by our gifts and how we bring in money otherwise finding good. But there's good news in this. See, I don't think God rates churches the way we rate churches. And even in our annual reports, whether parochial reports or annual reports, depending on what the congregation, what the denomination is, we always ask, they always ask, the synod asks, the national church asks, how many people are coming to worship? How much money are you bringing in? Now, how many people coming to worship might be a, a, a decent question, but how much money are you bringing in still bothers me. 
because I've not been involved with but one church that was really doing well financially and that one church was in a very um, well-to-do area and had a number of very well-to-do people helping to support it. But the majority of the time that I've spent in ministry, I've spent in poorer areas, more financially challenged areas. And particularly when we were in the city, there were a lot of things that our church did, both great and small, that helped people out, that brought people closer to God, that introduced them to the idea of a loving and generous and forgiving God. And that we really never made enough money to cover the bills. I don't think God judges churches on their bottom line financially. I think God rates churches, values churches by what they're doing to change people's lives. How are they touching people's lives? And I think that it's very important that we know that two of the most valuable things, two of the most important things we do are gifts of grace and totally free. I don't know of any pastor or any church, maybe there are some who do, who charge for baptism. Personally, I don't care who you are or where you come from. If you come to me and want to be baptized, or you bring a child to me that you want baptized, that will be taken care of. And there is no expectation of financial remuneration because I understand that baptism is a free gift from God. That this sign of being marked as one of God's own and being washed perpetually from all your brokenness is a free gift from God. And the other is when we put our hands out as one beggar to another for that little bit of bread and that little sip of wine. The gifts of grace that we receive in the communion are free to all. There is no monetary gain and nor should there be because that is so important. These are free gifts. These free gifts of grace God has poured upon us abundantly and sealed it with his son on the cross. Amen.